As the winter winds start to whisper and the world transforms around us, surrounded by the warmth of our homes, the twinkle of lights, and the songs of the season, it's a time of anticipation, of joyful preparation for something extraordinary is about to happen. Gazing upon the same starry skies that shone bright on that miraculous night, we remember the greatest arrival of all time. Christmas isn't just a season, it's a proclamation of hope, a reminder of a promise fulfilled. So this Advent, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, let us also prepare our hearts for his glorious return. For just as the first Christmas brought hope to a broken world, the promise remains, the King is coming. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. What a joy it is, right? Gathering together with the people of God, watching some kids dance and sing. I don't have the courage to do that. I mean, I'm comfortable in front of people. I'm going to dance and sing in front of you. You couldn't pay me enough money. I'm just a great. Can we give it up for those kids again? <clears throat> Christmas, it, it, all of this is all, this whole season is all about anticipation. It's, it's longing for, it's the hoping for. Um, and this is why it's such a joy, I think, about Christmas gifts. And it's funny, being a parent now, as I give my kids gifts, constantly what I think back is like, man, so I grew up in the you know, 80s and 90s. The gifts were so much better back then. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right? Like, every, like, like think about the original like, NES system. That was like the ultimate. Anybody get a video game system ever for Christmas? Yeah. No, you, got, oh, you guys were robbed in your... You, nobody wants to... We had three video game systems in this room. What's happening right now? Like, okay, here's this. All right, nowadays, when a video game system breaks down, it's like, oh, the Wi-Fi is not working. Like, we didn't need that stuff, right? If the video game system was not working, there was a simple solution, and everybody knows it. This is how I know you are all liars, and you guys actually got these. Press the button, pull it out, hold it up to you. Everybody with me, all right? Exactly. And people are like, what does that do? Nobody knows, but it solves it. You put it back in, in a place. It's like a Christmas, it's like a miracle, is it not, right? Or there was the greatest product placement in a movie ever, uh, the talk back. You, you remember the talk boy, right? The talk boy deluxe. This was in Home Alone 2, you know, and Macaulay Culkin or Kevin, whatever you want to call him, re, you know, records his Uncle Frank, you know, and he uses his scare bad guys. And you, every kid, every boy my age was like, I want... I want to talk back. And then they're like, what are you going to do with it? I, I, I don't actually know, but I just know that I want one, right? Now we all have one on our iPhones. Do you use it? No. 
it, it's, liter it's literally useless, okay? But the girls, you had gifts too, okay? Uh, any ladies in here a fan of the, the Lisa Frank backpack growing up, yeah? Yes, so bright. You can like buy these on Etsy. They're like $90, right? You should have kept yours. But you got that, you opened it up, and you were like, ooh, I'm gonna be the cutest pigtail princess at school. You knew it. You absolutely knew it. Or there was an ultimate, ultimate girl's gift. What was it? The Cabbage Patch doll. Was it not? Yes? Anybody have Cabbage Patch dolls? Yes. Yeah, I see that hand. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, a few of those. Uh, my sister had one of the. I was like looking at this picture, and I was like, I was like, my sister had one, but it was bald, right? I'm like, these all have hair. Like, maybe my parents were just on a budget. Just get the bald one, right? She literally called it head baby. Like, get, give me head baby. And I would make fun of her because there was, like, mold spores inside of it. I was like, you're moldy baby, right? I talked to her yesterday about it. We were laughing about it. She's like, I still have that thing. I'm like, it's still moldy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I had this one Christmas I remember because I had such anticipation, and it seemed like a simple gift my parents couldn't screw up. It was an indoor basketball, okay? It was my teenage years. I, I wanted this indoor basketball, okay? And by indoor basketball, uh, what do I mean? Not, you don't play on it on the playground. It only touches hardwood floors on a basketball court. It keeps it pure. It keeps it righteous and holy set apart to, to the Lord, right? It's, it's like the right thing. It was, it, that's a simple ask. And leading up to Christmas, my mom kept being like, oh, I can't wait for you to open your presents. I'm like, that was not that hard. Like, you got this. I believe in you, mom, right? And she's like, oh, this is going to be a good one. Like, trying to bond with our teenager. And I see the box. I'm like, there it is. I'm so excited. I'm going to play with it today. I'm going to go to the court. It's going to be amazing. And I start opening it up. And this is what's inside, an indoor basketball. <laughs> See, you guys think this is as funny as my mom thought it was. I was not laughing. I look at my mom, she's cracking up. She's like, it's an indoor basketball, right? I'm like, you're the worst. But my, my dad accidentally got her back that year because she asked him to get one thing for me. Hey, just go pick out a couple movies for him. So he goes, and you know, I'm in my young adolescent teenagers, and he gets Gladiator and Patriot, right? And I open it up, and I'm like, I'm not allowed to watch rated R movies. And my dad's like, Merry Christmas, you know? My mom's like, Bruce. And I'm like, take that, mom. Yeah, ruin my adolescence and my childhood. Yeah, okay, we can take Mel Gibson off our screen now. <laughs> He's got a ponytail in the movie. It's a whole thing, right? Okay, here's, we find ourselves long, uh, hoping for, because Christmas is all about hopeful anticipation, is it not? It, it, that's the point of seeing the gifts under the tree. That's the point of the Advent calendars and the countdown, because Advent is a season pointing to when hope came near. It's the anticipation of hope entering our world. We need hope. Hope is what anchors our souls. Hope is what strengthens our hands. Hope is what carries us through seasons of pain and silence. And so we're, I want to look at a glimpse of a story here. A little known, not often talked about part of the Christmas story shortly after Christ was born. This is in Luke chapter 2. And it says, eight days later, eight days after his birth, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. He goes through this ceremonial rite of the Israelite Jewish people, the name given to him by the angel before he was even conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's all just setting up this context. He's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to go to this temple. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. 
the Holy Spirit was upon him, was upon Simeon, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, understanding the context of this passage here and what's happening here, we, we have to realize that the Israelite people from the time of the last pages, the last words of the Old Testament, their Hebrew scriptures, to the arrival of Messiah, there had been a 400-year period of silence, waiting. God, when you said you're going to send your promised deliverer, your anointed one, your Messiah, but we're waiting. And 400 years, that's a, the, the United States of America has only existed as a country for about 250 years. So 150 years beyond that, generation after generation after generation had been experiencing, had been waiting in hopeful anticipation and had been experiencing silence to the point where people were feeling hopeless. They had given up hope. But then we get this glimpse of this man, Simeon. And it says he was righteous and he was devout and he was eagerly waiting the Messiah. He would go to the temple every day thinking, is today the day I get to meet the Messiah. See, here's what you need to understand about hope is hope anchors our souls. Hope is what carries us in seasons of turmoil and pain and silence and wondering. We need hope. This is what the author of Hebrews says. It says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. When you lose hope, you lose your will to keep fighting, don't you? doesn't matter what element of life, even on a shallow level, you see a sports team who has lost hope and they, they begin to give up and they stop fighting. And it's that area, that same truth carries into our marriages. It carries into raising children. It carries into living with purpose. When we lose hope, we give up. We spiral. We stop fighting for the promises of God. So how does Simeon, who had been among a people who had been waiting for 400 years, how does he hold fast as righteous and devout, eagerly awaiting the Messiah? It was hope. It was hope that anchored his soul to the promise of God. Emily Bruner, she puts it like this. She says, what oxygen is to the lungs, such is hope to the meaning of life. We need hope. And this is what Christmas is all about. It's a season that we remember that God has not forgotten us. It's a season where we remember that, that our souls need an anchor in the midst of the storms of life, something that hold us to who we've been created to be, something that hold us fast to the promise. See, hope is the anchor for our souls when the storms of life threaten to cast us away from who we are called to be to lose our identity and lose our purpose. We, we, we've all experienced this. But here's the key. Um, it's not just that we have hope. And it's not that just we say, oh, I just sure hope I get through this or, 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 or I'm dreaming that one day I'll, I'll get through this. It's not about having hope. It's about what our hope is in. What is the hope that the author of Hebrews is talking about? He says, this hope is an anchor for our soul. What's the hope he's talking about? He's talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the work that he has accomplished on our behalf, that he entered our world and dwelt among us. That's the hope. The, the hope that kept Simeon devout and eager, it was a person, it was the Messiah. 
See, Christmas, I love Christmas and Easter because for somebody like me, it is such a fun season. Like, you know, we asked everybody to register so we knew how to space things out. We had about 1,700 people register for Christmas Eve. We're like, we need, we need more rooms, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, a, I love it, it's a joy. And, and one of the reasons is because people who grew up in church, not everybody, but people who grew up in church, there's this holding on and remembering of these roots and these traditions. And so you come back for things like Christmas Eve and Easter, and I think it's a joy, but, I, but listen, I need to tell you something. Your traditions are not what you hope in. Your religion is not your hope. Your belief system is, whatever it is, that is not your hope. Your hope is not even in the church. Some of you guys are thinking right now, like, preacher boy needs a new job. <laughs> No, I love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. But here's what I need you to understand. Putting your hope in the church, it's actually kind of dangerous. One of the main reasons people leave the church is because the church is filled with human beings, sinful, broken human beings. And at some point, maybe it was in your childhood, maybe it was after you were grown, at some point, people have been wounded and hurt by someone in the church. They did something that was hypocritical. They didn't live up to what they said they believed. They did something harmful to you personally. They excluded you. They didn't see you. Or they did something just outright hurtful. And what happens when we put our hope in the church or our tradition or even our theology is when our church lets us down or our traditions let us down or even our theology lets us down, we walk away from our faith. But there's a problem with that. You know what the problem is? Your faith was never meant to be in the church in the first place. Your faith was never meant to be put in traditions. Your faith was never meant to be put into theology. Your faith was meant to be anchored to a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. He will never leave, let you down. He will never wound you. He will never forsake you. Everything else in this world will, even the good things that God has created, like the church. Everything else will let you down. And if them letting you down causes you to walk away from your faith, then you put your faith in the wrong thing in the first place. This is why we anchor our hope to Jesus and nothing else. He is the steadfast anchor in the storm that we need. But, but there's a flip side to this. There's a reason that I love the church, and there's a reason that I actually think it's a good thing that you came this morning. I'm, I'm actually for this, okay? Let's look at this passage, as, as the story as it continues. It says, that day the Spirit led him, Simeon, we're talking about the same Simeon, to the temple. What's the temple? Well, think of it as in the ancient Near East in that day and age, it was kind of like the church gathering place. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. Now here's what I need you to understand. Hope is a person. It, it's Jesus. And Jesus, in his sovereign goodness and power, he can choose to reveal himself in any way, by any means, to anyone. Yet, in his sovereign goodness, he has chosen two means, above all else, to reveal himself, to connect with others. You know what they are? It's his word and his people. His word and his people are his chosen means for connecting us to the hope found in his son. Simeon, he found hope that day, and he found it in a person. He found it in Jesus. But he found Jesus 
through the church. This is our role. This is why we exist, to be a beacon pointing to the hope of the world. See, your life, your life is the boat, and, and the world around you and the pain it is the storm. And when the storm comes, you need the anchor, which is Jesus. But the role of the church and the word of God is to tie us to the anchor of Christ. Amen? That is why we exist. And so this is why, as a church, when you come here, you, you should experience the hope of Christ every Sunday. We gather on Sundays because it's the Lord's resurrection day. And all around us, the world is full of pain and heartache and brokenness. And so when we show up, we are to remind ourselves, no, there is goodness and there is promise and there is meaning and there is hope in this world. When we gather and we sing and the kids dance and do their hands motions and we take communion and we open the word and we pray. All of it is making war against the brokenness we experience in our lives and declaring there is hope in Jesus. And Jesus drew near in the form of a baby on Christmas day. That's what Christmas is all about. That's is why we gather. And so Sundays they tie us to the anchor himself, to the hope of the world. R.C. Sproul put it like this. He said, hope is what gives stability to the Christian life. Hope is not simply a wish. I wish such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches us to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. It, it ties us in. And here, not only that, not only is hope our anchor, but when we anchor our lives to hope, then that hope needs to overflow. It actually begins to pour out of us. We become hope bearers. We become hope dealers. We become people who offer hurting people hope in their lives. This is what Romans 15 says. May the God of hope, seeing a theme here? Okay, good. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope becomes the driving force behind our life. Everything that we do, the way we love others, the way we pour into others, we're saying, no, this actually matters in eternity. This is not just for the moment. The, the way I live my life, the way I show up for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, the way I care for neighbors and the poor, it's driven by hope that there's more to this life than just this moment, that we are able to shape and to pour into and to speak to others. There's a... There's a man named Eugene Peterson. He was an American-born pastor, pastor for about 30 years, and then spent 20 years after that um, writing books and teaching. And he, if you ask him, he'll say he wrote 35 books plus The Message, uh, which is a contemporary translation of the Bible. And people ask him, why do you say 35 plus The Message? Why don't you count that number 36? It's kind of big, right? And he goes, well, because... That one had zero original content of my own. All I did was take the word of God and put it into everyday language. He's just, a, just an amazing man, an amazing pastor. He died in 2018. But one of his books, uh, maybe my favorite title of a book ever, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, probably a book you just follow the title and I think you'll be good. Um, he talked about hope and the power of hope, and this is what he says. He says, hoping does not mean doing nothing. Oh, I just, I just hope this will happen. I hope this will pan out. It is not fatalistic resignation. Hope means going about our assigned tasks confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. Hoping is not dreaming. 
It's not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. Hope is a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. Hope is trusting in something beyond ourselves. What he has said, his goodness and his nature and his character. See, again, this is why Christmas is so important. Because we go through these seasons where we're like, I feel silence, I feel disconnection. And God says, I see you in that moment. And I'm working behind the scenes. And I'm gonna show up at just the right moment to bring about what you need. As you anchor your life to the hope that is in Jesus, you begin to build and grow this confidence in the eternality of God. That he is using our obedience, using our acts of grace and kindness and forgiveness and love in some way beyond just what we see. He's using it to redeem other people and to bring about hope. All, we start to begin that all we do and realize that all we do in this life matters for eternity. That is a hope that overflows. See, the great hope of Christianity is not that we get to escape all the suffering of this world. That's not what we're just hoping for. Oh man, one day, like one day, it's all gonna be over and I can just escape suffering. No, this is the great hope of Christianity that God is going to use us to be a part of his healing project. That he is redeeming and restoring all of creation and he wants to use us as active participants in that. See, we are hope participants. You've heard it said, and I think it's very true, the phrase, hurt people hurt people. I think it's true because I've experienced it. I think it's true because I've done it. And I think it's a, a reality of why our world feels so broken right now. Because it's filled with hurt people hurting people. But you know what else is true? Healed people heal people. When you experience forgiveness, you have this desire to then forgive others. When you experience healing, you have this desire for others around you to experience that same level of healing. Healed people heal people. Redeemed people redeem people. Hope-filled people, you know what they do? They fill people with hope. That is our call of that it would overflow from our lives. I, I, I want you to see this on display. I want to illustrate this for you. And better than any story I could tell or example I could give, I, I want you to see it from somebody's life. And we're just, we're just going to watch this example together.
we clap because we're trying not to cry. <laughs> what a beautiful picture. That's what it means to participate in hope. That we are just not sitting idly by, but that hope should overflow. I, I love days like this when all the grandparents come around and watch your kids, your grandkids. You participate. I love when families get together and put wounds to the side and say, no, this is deeper and more important. This is why it says in Romans, again, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And as you experience that feeling of joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it's all about, that we would experience hope ourselves in such a deep way that we could overflow into those around us. See, Christmas is a symbol of hope. That's what it's, it's pointing us to hope himself. That's why Peter writes, he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ returns. The only way we can be anchored to hope and then overflow with hope is if our hope is in the right thing. We have all kinds of things we latch onto as, oh, this is my means of hope, okay? For some, it's money. Money is my symbol of hope. If I only had a little bit more, then I could actually live the life that I wanted. For others, it's relationship status. If only I could find my spouse. If only he would propose. If only our marriage could be fixed. If only... I could get a new husband this Christmas. Like, whatever it is, like, it's this symbol of hope. For others, it's job titles. They become a symbol of hope. If only I could move up in the world, then I would actually be happy. If only I could get a home. If, for others, it's popularity. For others, it's health and fitness. It could be all kinds of things. But here's, here's what I just want us to all recognize. These symbols that we hold on to how many of us look back over this year and be like, actually, we achieved some of these things and we're not any happier than we were before. We're not any more fulfilled. Why, why, why is another year passed and we look back and what is actually happening? Let me tell you what's happening is you're trying to find hope in good things, not God things. You're trying to find hope in the gifts of God, not the person of God. Our hope needs to be firmly, fully rooted in Christ and his work and his goodness. It is only when we find it in him. We are created to run on hope, to long, to thirst, to breathe in hope. But by placing our hope in anything other than the person and work of Jesus, it leaves us thirsty and longing for more. You see, Christmas is our reminder that when things feel most hopeless, God shows up. He does. And we anchor our hope in Jesus and we participate in hope because Jesus said he's coming back to dwell with us for all of eternity. That is why we anchor it in Jesus. I want to show you this picture of Ohad Munder. He's eight years old in this picture. I think I, I resonate with this picture of this little boy because I have an eight-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. I just, I just look at this kid and I'm like, that kid could be mine. And Ohad, on October 7th, was kidnapped and held hostage by Hamas in Gaza. And these hostages, they were regularly moved to different places in different rooms. 
and each day they were with different people. And so they're constantly trying to shuffle them around and move them around, keep them from knowing what's happening or what's going on, not get settled in, all, all these kind of tactics, all these things. And two weeks into his captivity on October 23rd was Ohad's ninth birthday. Can you imagine what that felt like on that day? Disconnected from family and friends, not knowing what's happening or what's going on. But here's the thing, on that day, on October 23rd, all across Israel, the Israeli people put up single red balloons everywhere in Ohad's honor. They put them on porches, they held them up in pictures on social media, even at football games, they scattered the crowd. It was this reminder Ohad, we have not forgotten you. Not on your birthday, we know, and we're coming. We miss you, we love you. The next day, Ohad uh, was moved to a new room with another little boy, and as soon as the guard closed the door, the little boy comes up to Ohad, and he says, are you Ohad? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, Ohad, happy birthday. And Ohad looks at him and he goes, how do you know who I am and how do you know that it was my birthday? And he begins to, this little boy begins to tell him the story about how he was in a room previous day and they, were, they had a football game on and they showed the crowd and they showed the red balloons and they zoomed in on the players and every player was like, Ohad, we see you, happy birthday, we love you, we're praying for you, over and over and over. And this little boy's like, how do I know who you are, Ohad? How do I know it's your birthday? Everybody knows it's your birthday. Everybody knows who you are. Nobody's forgotten you. And Ohad said when he later was rescued, he said that was the first moment in his entire capture that he began to cry and weep. Not because of the pain or it crushed him or the turmoil. He said because that was the first moment he actually had hope he would get out. He actually had hope that he was remembered. See, this, those red balloons, they were a symbol a symbol of hope, you are not forgotten. And some of you, you need a symbol right now, don't you? You need a symbol in your life that says God sees you. He has not forgotten you. You're gonna make it through it. There's still meaning and purpose and goodness in life. You know what that symbol that we've been given? It is the manger of Jesus. It is, it is this cradle that God shows up and he says, I am present with you. I am in your life. I wanna dwell with you. Hope is coming. God has not forgotten. That is the foundational message of Christmas. That's what, that's what all of this is all about, remembering that we have a God who draws near, that hope took on flesh and blood and moved into our world, lived the life we could not live in order to defeat death and the enemies of sin that we could not defeat. Jesus in that manger represents all the hope that we need. And here's the beauty. He's a king who's coming back. He's entering our world once again. And so in closing, let us remember the hope that was born on that silent night. His name is Jesus. Let us hold fast 
to the king that entered our world. Let us live with hopeful anticipation in our world, in our lives, that the king has not forgotten his people. He is coming back to rescue humanity and restore all that is good and beautiful in this world and do away with all the brokenness and the sin and the pain. Would you just imagine with me as I read this, imagine with me that you exist in pre-Jesus Israel. You know of a promised Messiah. You've heard the prophecies of a Savior to come. You believe in a holy, divine God. You've experienced his wonder. But for generation after generation, you've waited. You've waited upon the promises of God. You've waited for deliverance. You've waited for hope to come down. You've waited upon passages like Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now imagine, you've heard the Messiah has been born, that he has come among his people. The excitement that you would feel at that message, the message of Jesus' birth and ministry, it shakes the earth. We are united with the Father. We are united with the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. As prophesied in Hosea, Isaiah, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Feel the news spread. Imagine the hope and relief that fell over a tired nation. We today, church, are a ripple of the tide that shook nations. We, church, exist out of the power of that moment. The privilege and excitement that comes from the opportunity to continue in his ministry of promise and purpose. He came, and we get to continue to do what he was already doing by the power of his spirit. And so may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy is upon us. Jesus has come. Let all the earth receive the king of the world. Let every heart make room for him. Let heaven and earth rejoice. Hope is with us. Jesus reigns, amen. The earth cries for his glory, amen. The rocks, the hills, the plains sing his praise. Jesus rules the world with truth and grace. The king has come, and he's coming back. So beautiful. We must tell someone. We must tell everyone. We must tell everyone. Everyone. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've waited for this for so long. So long.
What will you name him? Jesus. We will name him Jesus. I must go. People must know. People must know. People must know.